the most important leader is the one that's inside you. <laughs> yes. So if you are in a job that you're unhappy with, remember the only person making you unhappy is you. If um, So no one else can choose how you act. People can influence how you feel, but they can't actually dictate how long you stay in that emotion. So please remember that you are responsible for the things that occur throughout your environment and that you can take action to improve it. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, a leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to announce that we're now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, a podcast network that shares podcasts on so many different topics, all designed to help enrich your life and amplify your business and grow your leadership. We are so excited to be able to share our message and extend our reach and impact through the Evergreen Network. Today, we're excited to have Dr. Benjamin Ritter with us, and the title is Crafting and Navigating Your Career with Clarity, Confidence, and Control. And the key word there is your career. As Dr. Ritter's gonna talk about, it is your career that you're developing, whether it's within an organization or whether you're looking to grow to the next organization and to grow in your leadership and whatever your career looks like. He's gonna talk about the power of curiosity in this search, and he's gonna talk about something called the three C's of self-leadership, clarity, confidence, and control. Dr. Ben Ritter is also gonna talk about this idea, it's so simple, but of getting clear on what your dream companies are and then taking action and being curious to learn more about those companies so you can really create, or what he calls, craft your career. It's an exciting conversation for anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or entrepreneur, or just someone looking to figure out what's next. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be back, and I know you're going to love this conversation because Dr. Benjamin Ritter is the founder of an organization called Live for Yourself. Now, that may initially sound a little narcissistic, but you're going to find out that it's, it's really about understanding what you really care about, what you love, and creating that career that matters to you, whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or just that person wanting to have that fulfilling career. Now, Dr. Ritter is, as I said, the founder of Live for Yourself. He's a leadership and career coach, leadership development director. I love this one, a values geek. We <laughs> love values here, especially when they're actually lived. He, he's an international speaker, a podcaster, author, mentor, and he's passionate about guiding people to finding, creating, and sustaining a career they love. He's had over 10 years experience coaching, working with clients from, you know, we've had a lot of guests like this, Craig. These, got, these folks that work with small companies, you might have heard of Amazon, uh, DoorDash, Coursera, Google, to serve Northwestern. You know, the list goes on and on. So what we know right now is that Benjamin, Dr. Ben, can we call you that, Dr. Ben? What do you prefer? I didn't even ask you. You can call me Carl. I don't really care. Is it? <laughs> but yeah, Ben, Ben works. 
or your other brother, Carl. <laughs> uh, I, I like having the doctor in there for a little bit because when I went to go pursue it, I kind of saw it as the the golden key to the door that I wanted to walk through. But mm. once once it said once, I just feel like it's just going in and out. Like, I want to stay. I want to stay home. So feel free to call me Ben. <laughs> All right. So. And so the thing is, Ben understands that how to navigate any career path you decide you want to travel. Um, he was a healthcare executive, and I love this, a side hustling entrepreneur. So he's got that in his blood. And he was overworked, underutilized, and despite all the success, heard this story, lived this story, didn't feel successful. And he made a professional pivot, launched himself in the field of leadership development, and personal empowerment. Uh, there's so much, there's so much in here. But this is the part I want to share. Uh, Ben's journey has taken him across the, the country, working with senior leaders, entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, speaking on many topics, including, ready for this, Craig? Humanistic leadership. All right. So we're going to have more crazy talk today. Uh, <laughs> motivating leadership and how to craft a job you love from a job you have. So welcome, Dr. Ben Ritter. All right. Thank Good you for you. having me. Yeah, great to be here. And I always find it amazing how my name activates this trigger in a lot of people to say, like, you can't say that. You, you can't be selfish. You can't. And it's like <laughs> automatically we connect this idea of living for yourself to being selfish. It's, they actually are two very different ideas. Yep. And, it, and it, it just goes to show how ingrained into our, at least this <clears throat> culture, that doing something for yourself is uh, we think it's frowned upon we have this idea this perception and so think about how that impacts our workplace how that impacts how we lead individuals um how we treat employees it kind of blows it just it kind of blows my mind a little bit and i love when people react to it or bring it up because it just goes to show like okay we got some work to do yeah no. i've heard a term that's uh been used called enlightened selfishness it's it's knowing what you want but also not doing harm in the process. Well, a friend of mine coined the term similar to that, Craig, intelligent self-interest. <laughs> okay. And, and I'll tell you, there's, there's, you know, like most things, this comes back to a biblical question, actually. And I had this conversation a month ago, uh, someone, a very strong believer, and he's made the comment that I shouldn't worry about my relationship with myself. I should worry about my relationship with God. And I don't disagree with that, but I said, well, but isn't there a verse that says something like love your neighbor like yourself? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, but listen <laughs> to the second part. I said, listen to the second part. That's right. Everybody remembers love your neighbor, but they don't really often forget like yourself. So it's got to be that, you know, taking care of yourself, looking out for yourself, not to the exclusion of others, but because you matter. And we're going to talk, I know we're going to talk about that, Ben, because I think so often there's this undercurrent when people are challenged in finding their way in their career about worthiness. And that there is, yes, there's this stuff about I got to figure out about my career, but what do I got to figure out about myself? So having yourself in the conversation, I think is kind of important if you want to grow yourself. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We, it, it's kind of strange. I don't know. When was the last time you went to a new restaurant? Last week. Uh, last week, because I was out of town, so everything right. was new. <laughs> How do you pick where to go? Well, I have a unique case because my girlfriend is a foodie and I'm not, so I let her decide. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'll so do you, what she says. 
Yeah. Just so you so trust gourmand it. rather than a gourmet. Delete anything. What what about you, Craig? Uh so let's see, it was more of location. So I happened to be in a different part of town, said, Hey, what's around here? And tried something new. How how was it? It's good. Yeah. My wife and I love to explore new restaurants, new a places. Bit of, yeah. A little bit of exploration, a little bit of curiosity. We have yep. Jeff here that was trusting someone's opinion based on their expertise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, it, when it comes to our, our career development or our job search, or what we choose next, we tend not to look at reviews or trust the experts mm. or lead with curiosity. Good it's point. more so, you know, what, what's available? What, what's on that job board? What promotion did I just get? And we don't think about ourselves. We don't do We don't just sit back and say, like, where do I want to go? Why do I want to go there? What are what are some other options that I have? And and like you said, it, there's it's it's just there's this pressure to to cater to to options that are provided to us or expectations that are put on us instead of living for ourselves. And this, you know, that's in the career development space. Same thing can go for just the leadership space, how we work with individuals and employees. So I guess there are a couple of different things, Ben, that this brings up for me. One is I, I, I see where you're going as far as looking at how, what do other people say about that? So with my sons, I made sure that as they were exploring career paths, I put them in touch with people who were in those spaces so that they could get some real feedback from people in, the, in that world. And that helped them to say, oh, I, I, I like that or I don't like that or you know, maybe I need to meet somebody else in that space as well. And so I totally get, you know, it's the reviews, it's what other people say about that. But I think you're also really talking about intentionality in our career paths. And I, I have definitely taken the past path of least resistance at some points in my life and the path of most resistance in other parts of my life. I love what you're saying that people are really, if you go by the review, you're taking yourself out of it. You're like, let me tell you, let someone else tell me what's good and I'll trust yeah. them. Versus me trying to just try things out. But when I'm working with clients and someone's getting a job offer, you, you betcha that client is going on LinkedIn, looking at past employers and reaching out to people that used to work for that company or in that department and getting them on the phone. And those people are not shy. Those people are not there anymore. And there have been people that have been really positive and there are people that have been really, that have been really negative. And those real, really negative people aren't exactly correct, but that was their experience. Yep. And it's just about, you know, do you have enough information to make a decision? And now I want to get careful about that because there never will be enough information to make mm -hmm. a decision. Uh, sometimes you have to just go off of what you feel in your instinct. And I'm, I personally had a problem in the past where when I needed to make a major decision, I pulled to the room and I spent two weeks polling the room and ended up choosing what I wanted to choose anyways. So yeah. <laughs> I think there's a very good balance between am I making an informed decision or am I just not trusting myself? Now, when you look at, when you're helping somebody, Ben, do you ask them to go through a set of the things that they like and the things that they don't like and kind of match up something with that? Or do you say, just jump into the pool and experience something, you know, maybe volunteer for this type of organization or do something so that you can experience it rather than just think about it? I want to preface this with the fact that I work with leaders inside organizations mm, to help okay. them grow, as well as people looking for jobs. And what's it, those two, two seem like very different areas, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, the strategies are the same. Like if you're, if you're looking for a job, part of this is let's just get a general idea of your values and your interests and your passions and the things that excite you. 
from looking at what you've done to thinking to, to looking at what you want to experience to looking at the environments that you really enjoy the companies get you really excited now let's go try some stuff out let's go have some conversations let's go volunteer let's go let's go uh, you know do some part-time work mm-hmm. let's go listen to some podcasts about the topic and really explore it but the, on the leadership side, the leader should be doing that for their employees. If you want to retain somebody, you need to figure out where they want to work, what their career sweet spot is. So you should be asking those questions about what their vision is, what projects they really like to work on. You should be noticing who they like to work with. You should understand what their career vision and their path is, and you should help mold them to get there instead of protecting them to do one specific job. So the strategies are very much the same to get people engaged and motivated and satisfied, despite if you're working in an organization or trying to find a new job. Well, it's just like Jeff said, this is crazy talk. You know, we actually care about the people that, that we're working with us and, and we think about their longevity. Could, well, could agree with you more. Well, and it's interesting. So the guest I'm thinking about, we had a guest earlier this year named Lori Kaiser, built this real incredible um, company based in Columbus, Ohio. And throughout the interview, we said, well, you know, how'd you figure this out? She said, well, I asked our people. <laughs> and it, it was so weird to hear that because you, I just don't, we don't hear that very often. And we rarely hear, you know, people who are team members saying, well, it's really cool. My employer asked me these questions and I don't know, I guess, let me ask you in the form of a question, Ben, what do you think happened? Because this is so obvious. Did it never, did those questions never exist or did we used to ask them and now we don't as employers and leaders? I wish I could jump in a time machine, <laughs> honestly. But I think, I mean, some of these issues that we're having, like the decrease in motivation, the increase in opportunities for people to leave an organization, like, as you know, like to, it's the great resignation, supposedly, in the world. People are waking up and realizing they can have more from their work. So people are leaving in, in record numbers, either to start their own business or to explore a new industry or to pivot or just to try something new. I can't tell you how many clients I work with that have been working for the same organization for 18 years. Mm -hmm. Those people five years ago probably would have retired at that organization. Now those people are willing to get uncomfortable to go explore something new. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if this is a product of the the environment in itself, just based on what we've, what we've done to the workplace uh, and what we've created in our economy. So it's, I can't really give probably a really good answer to that in terms of, you know, were we not asking these before? But I do think that we didn't need to ask these probably as much before. Mm. Uh, you know, the, if we have the my, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When people have their basic needs met, they start seeking self-actualization. And I think now at the, this point, the, there's a, you know, some people are lucky where most of their basic needs are met. Not lucky, I'd say, but they created a life for themselves uh, for whatever reason. and they want more. And the leaders in positions haven't been provided training to help them perceive that that more can be found within their organization. And our mentality towards careers are you work in this job for a certain amount of time. And unless they give you something to help you move to where you want to go, you don't tell them, you don't share it because there's no loyalty. That's dangerous that you find somewhere else to go. And that's the normal progression of a career. And so I think part of this too is redefining what a normal career journey can look like. Yes, we can be loyal to an organization for our whole career if they talk to us and provide us the same levels of comp increase, the same levels of job growth and opportunities and titles. Um, but all of this is, we're, we're kind of, we're trailing. We're trailing where the world is in terms of 
um, our career. And we're, we're living in the past, but we're also trying to live in the future at the same time. It's all convoluted. Um, and that was just a messy answer, but I think it encompasses a lot of what I was thinking. Well, it is interesting. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I've worked now, I started working full-time in 1984 when I was a lawyer. So I worked in the 80s. Nobody asked these questions where I was, and it wasn't something my friends said they were asked. In the 90s, I never got asked that question and didn't hear it. In the 2000s, I worked for other companies back. I wasn't an entrepreneur those times. I was never asked that question anywhere I worked. That's not true. I was asked one place out of four. And part of my issue in moving on was I wasn't getting asked those questions. And yeah. it was all about this. So I do think while we all agree it's a pretty logical question, it's a natural question, I don't think it's been in the system very long. Mm -hmm. So just, just to add to this, because I, I kind of am curious now about how it began. So executive coaching has been around for a very long time. But yeah. this idea of like talent development, organizational development is a much, I think, a younger a younger field, maybe not OD, but like TD and learning development has been around for a while because we have to train people on what to do. Yeah. But so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, you know, why did like, for example, I got into coaching mainly because I had 16 months of leadership training in my organization and I had a professional coach and I realized our leadership gaps in the organization. So I pulled together all my coaching experiences and said, this is the way I want to go with my career. And at that time, most of the talent specialist jobs, which, which I could have gotten to get into the space were recruiters. And so like, it was like, it, it, there was some infancy within this industry. And so I wonder if it's just developed because people are asking for it and people were leaving. So organizations are saying, what do we do? What we were doing before wasn't working. And so to your point, Jeff, maybe this is a very new and organizations movement toward, you know, in terms of reacting to the need of their employees is also trying to catch up. And so I actually think the need started and then organizations were like, how do we, how do we handle this? How do we react to it? And so now you're seeing more and more create like internal coaching programs or hiring external ad hoc coaches or hiring, uh, you know, chief people officers instead of chief, chief human re right. uh, resource officers. And so there's, there is this evolution and reaction to the needs of people. I think there's definitely a, a new, a, a much broader set of offerings available to people now than there were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So, so Ben, the question I want to ask is, you said a moment ago that, yeah, people might stay with a company for 18 years or more if they get all these things. That was, they get the raises, they get the opportunities to grow, all those things. I remember probably 10 or 15 years ago seeing a presentation saying that in going forward, most people, I guess this would have been the millennials, would have seven careers by the time they're 35. And my question to you, based on what you said, that would suggest it's because of the company's failings. But I'm not, I guess I'm not convinced. I think people have changed how they see work. And those long careers aren't likely anymore, even with a company that does it really well. So what are your thoughts? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. One of my main passions is this concept of crafting a job, crafting a career you love from a job you have, crafting a job that you love from a job you have. And it's, it was motivated from my research in the, the space of job crafting. Hmm. And I studied that when I was doing my values research during my dissertation. And basically it says you can change your job to what you want it to be. 
just that's all it is it's a level of empowerment to an employee as well as as a level of accountability you need to realize what you need and then you need to change your job towards you know towards that need and the organization should allow that flex not many people think this is possible <laughs> and oh yeah, so i don't ask it's, so they don't ask uh they don't question they it's they don't feel like they have a choice and i think no. because people don't feel like they have a choice they leave and mm, it's yeah. not it's not a problem with the organization the leader most of the time it's a level of empowerment to ourselves mm. and how we see the career path i think i mentioned this before people don't think they can fix where they're at so they think the easy solution is to go somewhere else so they go somewhere else, they spend six months on a high because everything is new. And then they realize they don't like that job either. So they leave <laughs> after a year. You know, it's, there's a problem with our perception towards work and our career and towards our own capabilities of creating what we want, where, where we are at. I mean, when I first launched Live For Yourself Consulting, I was working in healthcare and I've spent many, many years unhappy being in healthcare, mainly because I reacted to opportunities instead of being proactive. I mm -hmm. ended up falling into hospital administration after a two and a half year recession of working odd jobs and trying to get a full job and getting jobs canceled after signing on contracts. And so it was kind of like a thank you for actually having a full-time position. And I stayed there. And I, I kind of, I think I lost a little bit of hope of being able to create the mm -hmm. career that I wanted. So I became very unhappy. I became very resentful. I, as I mentioned, I achieved a certain level of professional success. I didn't feel successful. And that bled out into my personal life. It for sure influenced my professional success in terms of just pulling back from people that, that were at the organization because I didn't see the point in building relationships with mm -hmm. them. Pulling back from work that I thought would be fun because I didn't want to do more work. My goal was to leave work, not stay there. And, and I built an environment of negativity around myself. I was playing the victim. I caused a problem that I was experiencing on a daily basis. And it took me a while to wake up. But when I woke up, my first, my first reaction wasn't to leave. My first reaction was to say, hey, I really like this type of work. Can I go do it? And guess what my VP said, who I actually thought was a pretty poor leader at the time. This is a person <laughs> that fired people based on 360 feedback. This is the type of leadership culture we were in. And she said, yes, sure, go do it. And so I got to actually start working in talent development at that old position. And if it worked out, I probably would have stayed. But then we went through our second acquisition. Everyone I was working at the working with at the corporate level lost their jobs. And so what I decided to craft my job to became an impo it became impossible mm -hmm. unless I wanted to wait another year or two. And I decided I didn't want to wait. So I started looking outside the organization. I think we all need to start looking inside the organization for opportunities. That's interesting. So when you're when you're talking about live for yourself and you're you're connecting with people, are you it sounds like you're suggesting that people need to find themselves first and then decide, okay, am I going to create the right kind of environment here where I am and connect with the people around me and ask for what I want or am I just going to keep hopping and and be miserable for years? I work with clients that struggle with the three C's of self-leadership. So it's clarity, confidence, and control. So mm, yeah. There's some, some part of those are lacking. And so they reach out to me because they don't know what to do in their career, or they know what to do, but they don't know what steps to take or don't feel confident enough to take them. And because of that, they actually can't hold themselves accountable. And so clients 
that I work with that are stuck, that don't have clarity, aren't sure what they care about. And if you don't know what you care about, then you can't set goals right. that you care about. And so you're going and just kind of coasting through your day, think, you know, feeling that what you're doing isn't meaningful mm-hmm. and that you don't have a plan and that uh, and you're not sure what to do because you, you're afraid of doing the wrong thing. And so that, that piece of what do I want and why do I want is incredibly important. But some people have that piece, but then just don't believe in themselves. They don't believe that they have the skills to get there. I'm working with a client right now who knows exactly what he wants to do. And he was moving up into the space, but then started doing some research in you know, management consulting. And he said, I don't have any of these qualifications. I can't do this. I can't pass these case studies. I can't go. And so it's like he was basically talking himself out of something he could just do with a quick connection request on LinkedIn or a quick job application. So if we, if we have clarity and then we have confidence in ourselves, then we can hold ourselves accountable. We can start building a community around ourselves that supports our, our interests, our values, our goals. We will be able to take that, you know, take those two hours a day to dedicate to explore this area because we know what we stand for and we believe we can get there. But without that, then we tend to just be stuck. So, so Ben, I want, there's so much in that. I want to go back to, I think I've, I, I think you're right. I see that a lot of people, they just pull the ripcord quickly. What I'm curious about is, and I'll just talk about my personal belief. You know, there's all this talk that people leave managers. I'm not as convinced of that anymore. I think that seems like the truth, but I think what they're actually doing is they're leaving a culture that allows that manager because it's a specific issue. But if they go searching for a better manager, they might find one. But if they come across another bad manager that the company continues to tolerate, I guess what I'm getting at is I hear you in staying in a company, but I'll tell you personally, I left a lot of companies because the company lacked character. Their values, they were not aligned. And I said, I'm, and I chose not to try and change them. That's absolutely true. I chose not to, very consciously. But to me, if a company is not going to have integrity, I'm not going to try. I may not, I may choose not to try and save that company. I'm going to find one that does. Yeah. So where does the company values factor into these decisions that you're working with clients about their careers? There are so many different components, the job satisfaction and productivity and retention. And to your point about managers, yes, people, people leave companies that don't respond to, to them um, submitting information about a manager, right? So we know this manager is bad and we, we keep them. We don't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, if somebody is actually trying to get that manager or trying trying to provide feedback for that manager now i I don't know if someone leaves a company based based on an organization's response to a manager without that so if they haven't taken action to try to actually submit feedback on that manager to the organization i don't know if they would think the organization was at fault they probably would think that their leader was at fault Um, so organizations need to have ways to you know, basically just collate feedback on the different people in the organization to ensure that the employees are getting the experiences that they need. And often that that isn't the case. Often there aren't, uh, you know, 360 performance performance reviews or performance management system that 
really gives a company clarity on what people are experiencing and feeling. And there isn't enough trust for people to actually to submit that information. So I think that that's a big issue in itself. But to your actual question about organizational values, you know, one of the things that I take clients to do is to put their dream list together of companies. I want people to go after their dream companies. And, it, you know, I can't tell you how many people don't know what their dream companies are. Or when I ask them that question, they're like Nike, Adidas. And I was like, okay, go do some research, go do some research on the things that you care about and find a list of five to 10 organizations and let's go target them. I don't care where they are in the world. You know, we can, it's the remote, it's the remote age. We can find something or a similar competitive organization that would have similar values and similar types of work and a similar level of impact that you can go do. And so, you know, just to your point, yes, organizational values are incredibly important. Um, and it tends to be that if the organization has certain values, somewhere in the organization, there are leaders that have those values that you can go work for or you can go be. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Coming up on 5-Minute News. I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome back. But I'm curious, this point we talked about earlier about when people have a career issue, how much is it really a life issue as much as a career Mm -hmm. issue? By the way, they do offer career coaching because I think I'm on that service on LinkedIn. (laughs) <laughs> and and I don't use TikTok. Actually, LinkedIn is is probably the only social platform that I use now. And it's just incredible the people that you can connect with and the value that you can add. 
And as a content development tool, it's incredible. Career and life, are they the same? Are they separate? I've had clients that have had wonderful lives and horrible careers hmm. and clients that have had incredible careers and horrible lives. I think it's possible. Do I think it's okay? That's a different story. Uh, I also believe it's very difficult to live two different lives. And so if you have uh, you know, tons of happiness in one area and tons of dissatisfaction in another, you basically are, are living two different lives because you're probably not authentic in bringing your full self to work or not at a place where you can't. I 100% believe they need to be integrated. You know, when I take my clients through a values exercise, it's not values for your work life, it's values for your life. And how do we become more aligned in those areas? And I personally don't believe you could have friendships and relationships that don't support your career aspirations or your, or your values. And your strongest relationships and your greatest community can be built from your, your, your passions and interests, which I, which I hope you are in some way, shape or form doing in your career. There's some way, shape, they're connected in some way. Uh, like, for example, some of my greatest friends came from my you know, in-person events and the people that I've interviewed over the past couple of years. Some of my greatest friends operate in the, in the leadership and development space. Now, it's not always the case for people, especially when there are friends that they've had for a very long time. But at least new friends that you create uh, after you're out of college and you're in your first jobs, they tend to relate to where you invest your time professionally as well. And so if there's a disconnect there, you're going to actually have a very difficult time, I think, balancing both, both of the different lives that you're living. Yeah, that I don't does know. make sense. Yeah. What, what do you think, Craig, when do you think that your work and your life have to interrelate in some way? Absolutely. Um, to me, it's one and the same. I, my, my clients, the people that I work with become my friends. My friends sometimes become clients, coworkers business partners, whatever. I mean, Jeff and I are a perfect example. Uh, Jeff and I have known each other for seven, eight years. We decided to join forces and, and start Cartavera. And this podcast is an out, outbirth of that. And this, this might be a stretch, but like, for example, my number one value is health, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. Mm -hmm. And I worked in healthcare and I worked in life sciences and I work in coaching. And so there's a relationship there. Now, let's say though, you don't have that option and you're working for an organization that on, the, on, its, on its product side, isn't caring about health. Well, I imagine there's an opportunity in the organization to create a workout class, to be the, you know, the motivator of a, a, some sort of fitness exercise competition or activity yeah. to influence the food that's offered within the, work, within the workplace. So there are ways to integrate your values into where you're working through your own, like we mentioned before, intentionality. But who do you have to be to step up and say, hey, this is something that I want? How many people come to you who are, I just say, who does somebody have to be to come to you? Do they have to believe that they're worth and worthy of having what they want? Hence why that control piece of the three C's of self-leadership comes at the end. It's very difficult to take action if you don't have clarity and you don't have confidence. Mm, and it's, it's why I don't you know, race clients through a program mm -hmm. and, and really ensure that they are focused and 
and they have some clarity in terms of what they care about and what they want to achieve. And sometimes clarity is a lack of clarity. It's like, I don't know what I want. I'm going to go put on my captain hat, jump on a ship and go explore <laughs> different islands. That's totally okay. And we all have to do that. I mean, there's a really good book, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And it really discusses, so it kind of goes against some of the things that I believe in, in terms of values and alignment, because his, his whole theory is go try stuff out. You, you cannot predict, like if you tell me, like you sit down in your career, you go back five years, could you have predicted that you're here where you, where you are today? <laughs> and it's like the things that you learn, the people that you meet, they're invaluable. If you show up hundred percent with, with that understanding that if you, if you do what you need to do to be accomplished, to invest in your relationships, things will work out. And so despite everything we're talking about, things will work out. If you look at your jobs through a positive light and positive lens, this is just a way to ensure that it's a little bit more fulfilling along the way. Mm, good point. Well, Ben, you mentioned something a while ago that I want to come back to. You mentioned the great resignation that, you know, I've looked at it quite a bit the last 30 days because I saw it happen in April, reported uh, a big number, like 4 million people voluntarily quit. And then I recently saw several articles that highlighted that it wasn't just April. April to June was almost was like 11 and a half million people. And I saw some articles that said when they looked at asking people, why are you, why are you quitting? It was certainly wasn't what a lot of the owners are saying. <laughs> Most of the owners are saying it's all about unemployment benefits. People are lazy. That was fourth on the list and it was below like 20%. The biggest reasons were I'm rethinking my life and my career and work. Uh, I'm burnt out and stressed out. And I didn't like how I was treated by my employer during COVID. Um, what are you seeing in the people you're working with during this time, especially some of those that might be part of that great resignation? My sample size might be a little small because just because I work with certain types of clients, looking at you know senior managers up to executives that know of me right, within my network and space and based on my content, it, people tend to come to me because they've achieved a certain level of professional success and they're doubting where they're going next and they're not really sure that they're making the right choice. And they look back on their career and they go, I don't really think I've made conscious decisions. That's really what it is. It's people waking up and saying, I think I actually need to decide where I want to go on my own. And I don't think I know how to do that because I've never done it. That tends to be who I work with. And so kind of the rethinking my life, not to pivot, but more so to say, I need to do this a little bit more proactively and consciously. And I think I can't, I think I have the freedom to do that. Um, some clients I work with are operating from a little place of fear that we have to work through, uh, but they've created a, a, enough willingness to be uncomfortable to invest in a program. Um, but most clients are not afraid of, mm. of what comes next anymore. They might be a little nervous of it, um, but a lot of them don't know what they're going to choose. And that's really uncomfortable for them to face alone. Uh, ben, you mentioned dream companies earlier. And I'm curious, you said a lot of your folks have never even thought about it and they don't even know what a dream company is. Do you find that they don't even know what it means, hmm. let alone knowing what it is, like what the companies are? They've never thought about it. The majority of the clients I work with have never thought about it. Wow. I, I personally, I personally didn't uh, until I started this company. 
Like, and that, that it kind of blows my mind. Thank you for bringing that up because why is that such a strange thought that <laughs> we should yeah. go work? Like is going back to this idea of reviews. You know, we spend time looking at places that we know are going to be good to eat at. We, when we're dating someone, we, we will spend years trying to decide if they're right for us, but we would, ha- but we put them through a pretty rigorous screening process before that. But when it comes to jobs, we're like, oh yeah, sure. 20% more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Yeah. It, I, I will say, um, it only took me a month to ask my wife to marry me. So <laughs> I got to take some lessons for you. <laughs> So, so to that point about dream companies, they haven't thought about it. How often, if they have thought about it or do think about it, do they come up with a, a so-called dream company or companies that's still not really rigorous process? And I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of people throw out these big names without even knowing anything about the company. Right. Like some of those companies you mentioned, their reputation in the market is their horrible places to work. You know, they're big brands, they're big companies, but they don't have a great people reputation. So how hard is it for people to not only get the idea of a dream company, but to figure out what that actually means and whether it's real? I have a client right now who has a resume that so impresses me. He has like 15 years in the military, commander, worked on like secret defense missions, you know, tens of thousands of of military personnel he was responsible for like the, the security clearance and operations and around the world where he's worked blew my mind and right now he's working as like an intelligent consultant and he really you know he really enjoys his job but he wants career growth and so i asked him like where do you want to work and he's like you know i think maybe i want to be a program manager at amazon i go okay let's, let's talk about that what, what makes you interested in this position it's like, I don't know. It seems interesting. Like Amazon seems like a, a good Nick company to work for. And I, like the, my first inclination was, you think you're going to be bored? <laughs> like, do you, you think that's going to make you excited based on your previous experiences? And he stops and he's like, never really thought about that. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> I, so like he's, I imagine, because so coming from a collegiate athlete uh, perspective, you know, I spent, no, it's nowhere near related to the experiences he's had, he've had, he's had. but for the, for the majority of my life, I never believed that I was going to work a nine to five. So when you put me behind a desk, I had a big issue with that. Hmm. I had a really hard time acclimating. I had a really hard time actually enjoying my work. And so our previous experiences dictate the environments that we probably will thrive in. Mm-hmm. And this person never thought about that, never thought about the companies that he might want to work for that'd be interesting for him that would challenge him. And, and so, no, I don't, we don't ask ourselves these questions. I don't think we feel empowered to, I don't think anyone asks us these questions. I think, I think this should be a course in school, you know, that teaches us these topics. I don't know if, yeah. when, you know, if I was to, to ask, well, even before even that, I want to, I want to admit this past year I moved to Austin, Texas. And when I moved to Austin, Texas, I went and I looked at the companies that I really wanted to get connected to. And so I went out with intentionality and I ended up becoming integrated into communities that I truly care about, the CPG space, health and wellness space. And not only that, but two of my dream companies, one offered me a job, which I was like, okay, because through just connections and conversations. And another one, I ended up taking on an executive client. 
through that intentionality. Never would have happened if I didn't sit down and ask myself, who are these companies? And it didn't take a lot of effort. And I think this is where people get stuck. They think it takes a lot of effort. It, it did not take a lot of effort. It took three or four conversations with people, showing up in specific spaces and at certain events, not pushing an initiative, just getting curious. And that natural curiosity and passion, if you are living in a world that aligns with the things that you care about, mm -hmm. will naturally create opportunities. Yeah. We Great. just got to take those extra steps. Do you find that people struggle with a dream company because their definition is more about resume building than career satisfaction and love? I have a client that had to work for a top consulting firm and has to go get a, you know, a Stanford MBA. And so, yeah, there are the check marks, but I don't judge those check marks. If that's important to you to have that check mark, that's going to bring you fulfillment. If, if that's something you really want to do in your life, and if you don't do it, you're going to be questioning your life's existence, <laughs> then sure, go do it. You want, and honestly, like I have a lot of, I had some clients that work for Google. I've done some work with Google. They know how to keep their people. Like, so there are some dream companies that actually have some pretty good retention programs and pretty good organizational culture. Um, but I think to your question, do we have to stop and, and really ask ourselves, what about this company are we interested in? Is it the brand name? Is it the reason why I went and bought a, a Michael Kors jacket or why I think that this, you know, that this product is, is more worthy than this other product? I'll tell you, I shopped at, I don't know if you know these names, Marshalls and TJ Maxx. You know, I, I, you wore hand-me-downs and went to thrift stores as a kid. I, 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 because of that, I'm not bought into brand names. So that's influenced my perception on what credibility is or what, you know, what the dream company might be. And so if you find yourself gravitating towards names just because of their names, then you actually have to question your motivation because you're, where you're starting from may be a poor starting point. Instead, it should be, what are my values? And can I go talk to people that align with those values? And if you are still drawn to certain companies, go talk to them. Like this isn't just make a list and, and then leave it there. It's make a list, go find, you know, three or four people at the organization, go try to connect with them, talk to one person in each organization, ask for a reference, talk to somebody else at the organization, see if you actually enjoy your conversations with them, see what they think about where they're working. And then that might lead to job opportunities or it might lead you to finding a smaller company that's related in the industry. But it's, it's a process. It's, it's, it's a different way of operating and looking at our life. And the dream companies is just a way to get started. So how many of the clients that you work with actually look at experience as far as the kind of experience that they're going to have working in that environment versus just it's the next step on my ladder? When I work with clients, I try to guide them towards what skills they want to learn next. Mm -hmm what challenges they want to face, what types of projects they want to work on. Yeah. And, you know, just getting a name on a resume or a title, you can, you can tend to craft your job to, to be what you want it to be, but there needs to be some level of intentionality in terms of what am I learning and where am I going? So very much so it's the entire picture, which you should be at a point where you go interview for a job at an organization you're excited about because of what they do. And you have a list of questions about what you will be doing and what they have done mm -hmm. and what you will be doing next and who you'll be working with and how you work in terms of communication and project management. You should be interviewing the company. Re most recently, like about like one or two, two months ago, there are two main topics that have come up pretty regularly. One of them is, exe is, is um, executive presence. So I've done some, some tons of events and content development on there and 
It's been really well received. The other area that's been well received lately is interviewing the company, which makes sense when it comes to the great resignation. People are feeling a little bit more empowered to ask the tough questions during an interview, to not feel rushed. Uh, And it is, it's candidate market. So we, we can do those things and we can kind of, you know, put the spotlight on the person asking us questions and ask something back. And we should. I was actually interviewing a candidate not too long ago and they spoke for 25 minutes straight. And I just didn't, I didn't, inter- I didn't interrupt because I wanted to see what they were going to do. Right. And when instead, when I coach it, when I coach clients through interviews for every question that I ask, you should be asking a question back, back to me, yeah. at least to that ratio. You should use the questions that are being presented to you to learn more about the organization and to show your interest. So for example, if I ask a candidate, you know, can you tell me about a time where you've managed conflict or had to manage conflict? You should tell your story and then you should ask, can you tell me about a time where there was conflict in this department? Mm-hmm. You will learn a lot more about where you are going to work. That's a great point. It's, it's two-directional communication, not just one way anymore. So Ben, my takeaway thus far is, and I, don't, I know a lot of career coaches and there's a lot I don't know. So it seems unique in that a lot of career coaches I've come across are all about helping people find the next place. And it seems like you're very intentional. That may be an option, but that's not the go-to. And I know that, you know, we introduced you talking about you work with entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. So can you talk about, because that word gets thrown around a lot, but talk about what is an intrapreneur to you? So to preface the answer to this question, I might have to ask, have you re-ask it, but I think I'm on the same page, Jeff. There isn't one answer, and that's the biggest mistake. It's not, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to work at this organization. You should be doing everything. <laughs> if you're working at an organization, it doesn't mean you can't start a business. You're working at an organization, it doesn't mean you can't be working cross-functionally and, and having like and, and starting a new business line or working in like an innovation hub. Mm-hmm. So they often people niche themselves into one or the other and it limits their their experiences, it yeah. limits their career growth, it limits their fulfillment and satisfaction. And so if we can get out of this mindset of I can only do this one thing, instead I, I can do everything that I would want to try. And I'm I'm going to try it. I'm not going to just jump ship and and you know dedicate my life to something that I have an inkling towards. No, I'm going to actually go try it out, and test it out. I can do it at my organization. I can go start a side hustle. I can do, you know, I can do. I can't tell you how many people say I need to raise three million dollars before I can become an entrepreneur. No, you don't. You can, <laughs> no, you don't. You you can you can literally create almost any product as a as an MVP a minimum uh, a minimum viable product. Test yep. your business theory and to just dive into the space. You can go intern for someone working in the field. See if you like it part time. Um, but I was, I was kind of, I dedicate some time as a mentor to some student entrepreneurs and we were, was working with this individual starting a business and we came down to the, the finding that this person was dedicating about two hours of their day to their business, maybe an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. They were lucky. And it said they were exhausted because they were also working full time. And I go, you know, I have to tell you some, a hard truth. You know, you, you know, that you enjoy this, you know, that you want to invest in it you're not going to grow a business with an hour and a half a day. And they don't want to work evenings. And so there are also some sacrifices in terms of how much time that you dedicate to these areas. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm off my soapbox again, Jeff, pull me back in and, 
and orient me back towards your question. <laughs> well, I guess that, you know, I guess I was asking you answered it, I believe. You know, what does it really mean to be an entrepreneur? And you, you, you answered it with a very broad answer because there's a lot of options. And I think there's, I see that as well. People just don't think there's, there's this or that. So, so, so this brings up something important because I was working with a, a CEO the other day and we came to the conclusion that other than the policies they have in place, they want to build in the 30 minutes of reflection into the time that they, that they expect of their employees. So other than just their breaks that are required by law, they want to actually give people 30 minutes to sit and reflect on their day. And I love this idea. The reason why people aren't able to come up with the answers on the things that we're talking about today is because they're not sitting down reflecting. The reason why leaders are, are not asking their employees these types of questions is because they're not sitting down reflecting. And so when it comes to being an entrepreneur, and entrepreneurs stop and reflect. And they think to themselves, how can I improve this? Why am I doing this? Where is their opportunity? And based on the fact that they have that mindset, they're able to see opportunity even in the moment. That's what it really makes an entrepreneur. So that there's the difference. Hmm. I'd, I'd say what you said just a little bit ago, Ben, of you want to be doing all sorts of different things there. If you think about the person that's in a company that's coming up with new ideas, new, new ways to make more money for the company, do you think that that person's not going to get the promotion, that they're not going to get advancement, that they're not going to get what they want? Companies would love to have more people like that. So if you take the initiative to try new things inside the company, build relationships across functions and get to know how to, how to grow the company and give ideas, man, they're going to be all over you. Yeah, I believe performance ratings are changing all the time, but there's a reason why you don't get any more money if you meet expectations, <laughs> Good point. Uh, which I think yeah. is a horrible label, by the way. It's yeah. just not a way that you should rate somebody. But yeah, you need to step out and up. And so when I work with clients that want to get promoted, they are usually surprised by the fact that just because they do good work doesn't mean they're going to be promoted. Mm. That it doesn't matter how much good work you do if nobody knows about your good work. Yeah. And no one and, and also it doesn't it doesn't no one's really going to care about the work that you're doing if it's the work that's expected to be done. So if you do also want to move up in your career, are you making, you know, making people believe that you do at the same time? Are you engaging in meetings? Are you looking for projects to spend your time on? Are you coming up with new projects and presenting them to your leaders or to other leaders cross-functionally? Are you volunteering for that short paragraph in the newsletter that goes out? Like there's, yes, it's a little extra effort, but again, this level of intentionality to, I, you know, you want to grow and you know where you want to grow. So Ben, one thing we've not talked about or hasn't come up, and I'm really curious about in this in terms of maybe it's dream companies, is what are you finding? How how highly do people that you work with value where a company is in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? We've had a lot of we've had a number of guests who've talked about the reality today that there's a lot of people, they'll leave a company if they don't get the right message on the, that topic. So what are you seeing in your work around that topic? People are asking in interviews too. 
What do you think about DE&I? How important is to you? What have you done in your community? Mm. You know, what do you, what have you volunteered? Like these are real questions that organizations are asking to ensure that DE&I is part of the hiring process and part of the, and part of the value set of people that are coming into the organization. Uh, From my own perspective, right? I help clients gain what they want for themselves or help leaders develop. So other than managing, you know, conflict in the DE&I space, uh, I don't have much much work in that area now. And again, also, I know when I'm an expert, when I'm not an expert. So I, I have DEI consultants that I can refer people to. Uh, this is not a space other than the fact that I think it involves humanizing leadership and putting yourself in every single person's shoes. Yeah. And that means that asking people too what they think and how they feel yes. in a way that is respectful, uh, because I don't know what someone else thinks and feels. Um, I need to go figure that out. And I'm not going to figure it out by assuming what somebody thinks. Uh, there's, <laughs> right. There was a cool stat the other day that I saw, which I don't even know if it's real, but I just love it so much that I've said it like a thousand times already, that you only, you only think similarly to about a third of the people that you meet, meaning that two thirds of the people that you meet, you just will not be able to understand, <laughs> period. And so that means that you always really should be asking people for clarity about what they're telling you and for what you think that they're feeling. Hmm. Good point. Wow. Well, you brought up a word that we haven't really used and I'll, we'll wrap up with this question, Ben. In the introduction, we talked about you working with your clients on humanistic leadership and you just talked about humanizing leadership and you gave some examples. Can you give us the, the brief overview of what does that really mean to be more humanistic in leadership? Overall, it's just that people are people and they're not their work. <laughs> and the, the goals that you have set don't define the individual. Their work product doesn't define who they are, um, that there are relationships between the people that you work with, that individual has a life that they're living with at that time. I can't tell you how many, how many instances I've started talking to a client or a networking call or a potential client, anyone really, and started asking them about their day and they had a little bit of honesty and you know, I shared a bit about my day first and you find out that this person has a multitude of things going on in their world that yes, you're, you're like, you shouldn't be at work today. <laughs> like you, you shouldn't be here. And I would love for you to take the day off or that they've had a week. Like I, I something. So I was on a tour and this is out of, you know, a little out of the question. I was on a tour in Kauai, uh, in Hawaii, and around the Nepali coast, and we were we were just kind of on this boat traveling. And the tour, like tour guide, was super nice, and he was really personable and was really friendly. Seemed to be having a lot of fun, and we're talking, just talking, and I asked him how his week went, and he goes, "Well, if you didn't see, there was a there was a flood in most of the, the towns up here." And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night a few days ago uh, to a crashing, thundering sound, and uh, water came out, came in through my windows, and I had to to race and grab my kid and grab my pets, and we 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 had to escape. We were, you know, we had to stand on the roof, and the boat came and picked us up, and and uh, you know took us somewhere safe. This guy three days later is giving a boat tour like nothing happened in in, in his life. <laughs> I just it just is such a good reminder that. We need to lead with grace and curiosity and kindness when anything happens. So good. Yeah. 
And that's just one example. There are so many others of just everyone has a story and we don't know it. We do not know it. And so when you start a meeting and dive into work, why not give people a chance to connect? Why not, you know, have a little bit of fun? Why not drop your expectations on someone, how someone should act? And someone does something that is surprising, you can take a second and, and give them a little courtesy at that same time. But that's really what humanizing leadership means to me. That's so good. So well put. I love it. I love it. So thank you for so much you brought here today, Dr. Ben Ritter. Uh, we always want to give our guests a chance to highlight or promote something going on in your business or in your life. What is that for you? So first off, before I do that, this happened on one of my podcasts not too long ago. I had a guest who asked the audience to please go leave a review on this podcast. I mean, nothing pays it forward more than if you're getting some value and some content from this show to go on your podcast app and to pull up this show and leave a five-star review and just say one thing that you really liked about it. It pays it forward. It helps the algorithm, promotes the show, spreads the word. So please, please do that. Thank you. Uh, the next piece is to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you enjoy what I'm saying, it's Dr. Benjamin Ritter. I think I'm one of the, the few that will pop up. And if you want to go check out my services, go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. That's liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and we always wrap up with a couple questions. And I, I guess I'm going to go with what I perceive to be the hardest one, given all that you've shared already. What's that one piece of wisdom for our listeners about their career? The most important leader is the one that's inside you. <laughs> yes. So if you are in a job that you're unhappy with, remember the only person making you unhappy is you. If, um, so no one else can choose how you act. People can influence how you feel, but they can't actually dictate how long you stay in that emotion. So please remember that you are responsible for the things that occur throughout your environment and that you can take action to improve them. Mm, so good. Love that. And, you know, Craig and I are both big readers. So drop the book on us. What's the book that you have found most impactful in terms of leadership, career growth, personal growth? This is actually a really tough one, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. There's so many good books. Many. I, and honestly, when I read, I'm very intentional. So I read for like a, a skill purpose when I'm not reading just some fun fantasy things. Uh, one of the greatest books on conversation that I've read recently was Coach the Person, Not the Problem. So I recommend that. And then uh, something that changed my life is a book called Reframing. Uh, it's a book by Richard Bandler. It's a very old book. To find a copy is, is tough, but you can find some used ones. And it just actually goes through goes through a process on how to reset your programs in your mind. So if you have some issues with confidence, if uh, you're struggling with some areas that need to be changed, that was something that all like just without that book, I don't know if I'd be where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. He's one of the founders of neurolinguistic programming. Yep. So, yep. Well, so, so much good stuff, Ben. Thanks for bringing here uh, all this wisdom and uh, most important, thanks for this important work that you do in the world. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much.
you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.